All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So good to be with you this morning. If we haven't gotten the chance to meet, uh, my name is Aaron. I have just the joy and privilege of being part of the team here at Wellspring. It is, again, just so great to be with you this morning, wherever you're tuning in, wherever you're watching. Thank you for taking the time to be with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, though, I want to invite you to open up with me to 1 Corinthians. We are in our last sermon for our teaching series through the book of 1 Corinthians. Next week begins Advent, so we're looking forward to that uh, through the next couple weeks leading up to Christmas. But for this week, we're finishing 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is where we're going to be this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but as I was kind of reading over 1 Corinthians 16, we're going to have a chance to read through uh, uh, most of it here this morning. 1 Corinthians 16, and maybe you'll get this, this sense as we go along through it, kind of feels like that drawer that you have in your kitchen, in your house, where you know that drawer that you have where you just kind of have all these kind of random stuff just tossed into this one little, you know, section of your house, whether it's like pens or pencils and post-it notes and a pocket knife here and a flashlight, just kind of your kind of random assortment of whatever you might have. You know, how many of you have that drawer at home, right? You just kind of, oh yeah, just toss it in that drawer over there, right? I have lots of those drawers. In fact, even with our, the, our own housing situation right now, we don't have a dishwasher. So kind of what we've done is as we've hand-washed our dishes and, you know, three kids and too much to do, as we've kind of have the dishes drying and you have the silverware there drying, what we've kind of done sometimes, we just kind of take all the silverware with one hand and stick it in the drawer and don't bother sorting it and just kind of move on with whatever. But regardless, though, even as I, like, say that and put the silverware in, in one drawer and just kind of let it be there, there actually is a little bit of coherence there, right? Like, there's, it's all meant to be for silverware, if you will. And similarly, as you read through 1 Corinthians 16, I don't think Paul is just sort of randomly just saying kind of whatever comes to mind. It might feel like that to us a little bit. But I actually think Paul has some intentionality with what he is saying in 1 Corinthians 16. In fact, remember what he said previously, just even last week. I think it connects. The last verse of chapter 15, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And Paul has, has just said that, verse 58 of chapter 15, on the heels of expounding and declaring and teaching the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm not the only one who thinks this. A lot of smart people smarter than me think this. But Paul, what Paul is doing there in verse 58 is that, yes, he's looking back towards what he just said in chapter 15. Therefore, you know, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. But he's also pointing forward to chapter 16. Where then in chapter 16, he's going to kind of give some practical ways to be that kind of person who is steadfast, immovable, living in light of the resurrection of Jesus. So kind of the logical flow is this. In light of who Jesus is and his resurrection back from the dead and our invitation to live into that reality, Paul then says, therefore, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then goes into chapter 16 with some final remarks in light of all that he just said in chapter 15. So with that said, let's work, work our way through chapter 16. And I want to kind of break this up into kind of three main parts and kind of a hopeful a helpful way for you to kind of uh, remember what we're talking about this morning. We're going to talk about three things plus one bonus thing. And yes, that you know, bonus is kind of my way of being able to get a little more into this teaching this morning. But the three kind of main points are going to be generosity, planning, and attention. Okay? Generosity, planning, and attention. And kind of maybe a helpful way to remember that is think about it like this. GPA, right? 
GPA, generosity, planning, attention. The reason I, I say that is because this week, for the first time in, in our parenting life, we had our first parent-teacher conference with our uh, five-year-old kindergartner, Sienna. And it was one of those moments where we're doing it over Zoom, and I'm sitting there going, how did this happen? Like, life is just moving so fast, and here I am having parent-teacher conferences. I have a daughter who's halfway through kindergarten, and we don't have GPAs in kindergarten. But maybe for those of you at home, this week was parent-teacher conference week for us in PG, so maybe you can relate to that a little bit. But anyway, GPA, generosity, planning, attention. The first one, generosity. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 16, Paul writes this. Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, being Sunday, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So Paul is directing the church in Corinth right now as to already to begin saving and setting aside some money because Paul is intending to come to Corinth at a later date. Verse 3. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Kind of the backstory here is at this time, the church in Jerusalem is in sort of a financial bind, if you will. And Paul, throughout not just Corinthians, but other letters as well from the New Testament, we can tell, he's asking the other churches throughout the Roman Empire to help contribute back to Jerusalem, which was essentially kind of the mother church where the whole thing started a few decades prior. Verse 4, if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Verse 5, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever you go. Now, what's interesting here is that when, when Paul is writing this, he's writing to what we've talked about previously these past few months, a very messy and divided church here in Corinth. There's a lot of issues happening in Corinth. Yet Paul, I love what he says even at the end of verse 6 there, that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. See, Paul, is, what's, what's so fascinating about this is that even though the church in Corinth has all sorts of issues and all sorts of problems and all sorts of things that they need to work on and Paul's pastoring them through this letter on how to work through their different struggles, Paul is still inviting them to look beyond their own present circumstances to look at the needs of others. To look beyond just what is going on within their own sort of social circle or whatever, but to look also beyond the needs to the church in Jerusalem and beyond. And I think for, for us as followers of Jesus, this, this practice of generosity, this practice of looking beyond the needs of just my own sort of inner circle and looking to the needs of others is, is just part and parcel of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Later on in Paul's second letter, Paul's going to kind of expound on this even more and say in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that to the church, for you know the grace or the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that we might become rich. Out of the overflow of understanding who Jesus is, Paul is then inviting the church here in Corinth, even in the midst of their issues, even in the midst of their problems, to look beyond themselves to the care and the needs of others, this practice of generosity. And I just wonder, I think about this as I was thinking about this this past week in, in my own life, with all kind of this, the upheaval that this year has brought. And all the craziness that this year has brought, the tendency, at least in my own heart, is to just kind of insulate myself and to just focus in on my, my own problems and my own needs. And yes, there's a time and a place for that for sure. But oftentimes, I think, by the invitation of God's spirit and by the empowerment of his, his, his spirit working in and through us, I do think there's almost like this healthy antidote, if you will, to this kind of looking in on ourselves to begin to see the needs 
and the concerns of others, especially in a season like this, as we approach the holidays. And this is just the, the time of year where we're often more kind of ready to do this sort of thing. And I just can't help but wonder is that as we seek to follow Jesus in this moment, in our day, perhaps Jesus is inviting us to not just kind of huddle and look into our own selves, if you will, but to maybe expand our horizon a little bit and ask the Holy Spirit, how might I practice the generosity and grace of Jesus even in the midst of a time that might be difficult? That's the first part right there, generosity. That's the the G, if you will. The second one I want to talk about is planning. Notice what Paul says in verse 7. For I I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you. If the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord, as am I. Let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, and he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos... I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has an opportunity. Now notice a couple things here. Notice how Paul says, I love this line in verse 7, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. See, Paul's not opposed to making plans. That's essentially all that he does at the end of almost every single letter. Paul is expounding and telling his plans that he has as far as travel and missionary work and preaching the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Paul is not opposed to plans. And he says in verse 9, a wide and effective door has opened to me. See, Paul is open to God's spirit, open to what God has for him as he submits himself and is following after what Jesus has. He's not opposed to making plans, but yet I love this line again. If the Lord permits, if the Lord allows. Again, there's this openness, there's humility to this. You know, how many of you, if you think about this past year in 2020, how many of you just kind of had your plans just all thrown, thrown off, if you will? Right, so many things that we were expecting or planning for, and then just kaboom, right, 2020 happened. I know that for me, for sure, right? And I think that there's this beautiful opportunity here, and it's hard, right? This isn't easy at all. But to see these moments of where our plans might not have gone exactly how we hoped to, to become the kinds of people that Paul is himself saying that he is, if the Lord permits, To live with what one writer I respect calls this holy uncertainty. Where we recognize that we live in uncertainty all the time. But as followers of Jesus, we're to do uncertainty differently than the rest of the world. Tied and anchored to the person of Jesus. Recognizing that God is the one who is carrying us and is with us. And his presence never leaves us nor forsake us. And we become the kinds of people that say, yes, if the Lord permits. Yes, not opposed to making plans at all. The the scriptures and Proverbs in particular, Paul's life I think of as another example, is, is totally for making plans. But to hold those plans with an open hand. There's a passage in the book of James that I've been thinking about a lot lately where James writes in James 4, he writes this, Come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such place and go make a trade or a profit. He goes on and he says, yet you do not know what tomorrow brings. How many of you have found that true this year? We do not know what tomorrow brings. What is your life? Your life, James says, is but like a mist or a vapor. 
Today it's here and tomorrow it's gone. But we should be the kinds of people that says, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. You know, and there's this openness to whatever God might have for us. There's this openness recognizing that God is inviting us in the midst of all of the the hopes and the expectations that we have to slow down and to process and be with him in the midst of those things. You know, in the church tradition that I grew up in, I grew up as uh, part of the Calvary Chapel family of churches, a great group. I love and respect them so much, so thankful for that upbringing. One of their uh, main leaders, actually the founder of Calvary Chapel, would always used to have this saying that he would say uh, over and over again. And the saying was this, blessed are the flexible, for they will not be easily broken. Blessed are the flexible, for they will not be easily broken. What he was getting at, his name was Chuck Smith, was that this idea is that as we are, are maybe so like set on a particular plan or an idea or we're so just like, this is exactly how I want my plan or my vision or my agenda to go, the more firm we are in that, the more set we are on that, oftentimes when things don't go our way, we're easily broken. But becoming the kinds of people that, you know what, yes, I will make plans. Yes, I will have dreams and ambitions and goals. But to slow down and recognize that those things might not always happen. And 2020 hasn't shown that. I don't know what else will. And to become the kinds of people that can say, you know what? I want to be more flexible. I want to be more open. I think very practically, though, how does that, how do, we, how do we go in that direction? I think at least personally for me, it's that recognizing that in those moments, and I've had multiple moments this past year where there's been some sort of disappointment in the sense of I had a plan, I had an idea, I had sort of something I was hoping for, yet it didn't happen the way I was hoping it would happen. And it's in those moments, it's in those moments in particular, I think there's this beautiful opportunity for transformation and intimacy to grow with Jesus. And to have those spaces where we can process And we can slow down and be in the presence of Jesus and simply talk with him about that. To work with him and and pray and to dialogue about all those opportunities and those moments where we had a plan, we had an idea, we had something we were hoping for, yet it did not happen the way we wanted it to. And to see those moments as beautiful invitations for transformation and closeness with Jesus. I think that's how one of the ways that we can become the kinds of people that are more open, more flexible, more the kinds of people that can say, if the Lord permits, then this or that. So that's the second one. So if the first one was generosity, G, the second one's planning, P, the third one, attention. Notice what Paul says following in verse 13. Paul writes, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act courageously, be strong. Let all you do be done in love. Now notice verses 13 and 14, how they pair almost like opposites, but also together. Paul on one hand in verse 13, he's saying, be watchful, stand firm, be courageous. But then also verse 14, let everything you do be done in love. See, for Paul, both conviction and strength and standing firm and compassion and love go together. Oftentimes we live in a culture and a world that wants to separate those two. Where either you're just kind of, you know, compassion, whatever, you're just kind of soft or whatever. And then on the other hand, if you're a truth person, if you're going to stand firm over here, then there's often no love or there's no compassion attached to it. But for a follower of Jesus, both of those are to go together. But notice what Paul, or why Paul might be saying this, verse 13. Be watchful, stand firm. Again, think about the church in Corinth. 
Think about all the different ways and all the different distractions that they had that were kind of guiding them off course from what Jesus had for them. Paul says, no, no, be watchful, stand firm. And just like 2,000 years ago in Corinth, where there was all sorts of things, whether it was the temples or the meat sacrifice to idols or all the different practices that were going on in the culture of Corinth, so many different ways that were getting the church off focus from the things of Jesus, so it is, I think, the same for us today. And this warning, if you will, this invitation, if you will, to stand firm, to be attentive and focused on the things of Jesus is so vital for us today. In a culture, in an age full of like digital algorithms and just digital technology that is designed and wired to get you off focus and to make a profit off of your attention, being attentive to the person of Jesus is so vital. You know, I think about this in my own life and kind of thinking about growing up up in Washington, there was this one weekend where I was part of a young adults group in the church that I grew up in. Just a, a wonderful church. And this weekend trip that we had with our young adults group, I remember one of these moments we were had a, almost like a whole afternoon to go out kayaking in the San Juans. We were out uh, off Friday Harbor out in the San Juan Islands, a beautiful place if you've ever been there, especially in the summer. And it was a late August afternoon. We're all out there, maybe about 12, 13 of us, out in double kayaks, just going around cruising with, you know, the trees in the background, the mountains in the background, the sun shining, a beautiful afternoon out in the ocean. And I remember as we were coming back in, it was kind of getting semi-late, and we were going to come back to the campsite for dinner. And out in the distance, as we're making our course back towards the campsite, out in the distance, we could see, it was still fairly far away, but still enough to be able to tell, these beautiful, massive whales start breaching out out of the water. And, it, and all, you know, everything that I was uh, focused on before, my attention is now turned to these whales over here. Just these massive, beautiful creatures just leaping out of the water. And the thing was, it was only for maybe, I don't know, maybe five minutes, maybe ten, of just sitting there in our kayak, staring out into the distance, and seeing these beautiful whales pop out of the water. All of a sudden, as we are about to then make our way back to our campsite, we're like, I don't know how many yards off our, our like projected path of getting to the campsite. And all of this extra work that we have to do to now paddle to get focused and attentive back onto where we were supposed to go. And the reason I share that is oftentimes is that it's so easy to get distracted, even on good things, even on fun things, that we then lose our course, lose exactly where we are supposed to go, what is most important. That's why I love the line from the writer to the Hebrews. He writes in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. See, here's the thing. As I was sitting there in our kayak with our friends, it took no effort to drift. It took absolutely zero effort to drift away from where we were supposed to go. And the same is true as we follow Jesus. It takes no effort to be distracted especially thanks to that supercomputer in our back pocket, right? It takes no effort to drift at all. But yes, it takes intention and attention to stay focused on the things of Jesus. And I think very practically, as Paul is saying, stand firm, be courageous. He's inviting the church. He's calling the church. Not, and he's, he's, he's stern about this. That there are things out in this world that would seek to derail us, that would seek to distract us. And our calling as Christians is to stand firm in the things that we have heard. You know, for me, very practically, this says really, I think, has really helped me, has been to be really intentional about my morning and evening times. How I start my day 
and how I end my day. I don't know what that might be for you, but I think trying to figure out what are those practices, those rhythms, those ways of being where we can be intentional about how we are giving our attention to King Jesus. For me, it's, it's no technology, nothing besides my Bible and my coffee and a little bit of prayer before anything else comes on in the morning. And then thinking about how can I end my day thinking and dwelling upon the things of Jesus. How can we be a people that are more attentive? So that's the, kind of the, the three sort of big points there. Generosity, planning, attention. But the bonus point, hope, is, is going to be the, the last one here. Verse 22, Paul writes, our Lord come. Our Lord come. Now what's interesting about just those three words in English is that it's really just one phrase in the original language. In the original language. Maybe you probably know it. It's, we often say Maranatha in English, but it's really technically Maranatha. Maranatha. And it's this phrase that means essentially how it's translated, come, Lord, come. And it's actually, again, echoed at the end of our Bibles in the book of Revelation. It's, it's, it's written as kind of this early Christian prayer that the early church would say over and over and over again. A way of declaring that our hope as followers of Jesus is in Jesus alone. Maranatha, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And this is a vital reminder for us that fundamentally our hope as followers of Jesus, is not in our circumstances or our bank accounts or the zip codes we live in or our jobs or our careers or a politician or whatever the case may be. Our hope is in Jesus. Maranatha, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we recognize that in the midst of even crying that out, that our world is broken, that we are broken, I think just even for a moment, let's, let's be honest. Can we, we, can we do that? We, we should be able to do that, right? Let's be honest. We're in church, right? This year has been extremely hard. It's, like I was saying earlier, been full of things where we had our plans, but then they have, we have to alter and shift. And I can't think of a better word as we think about ending this series in Corinthians and transitioning into Advent. This time where we are waiting with expectation, preparing our hearts to celebrate the first coming of Jesus. And also looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. Maranatha. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And I think as we think about even just this one little phrase, this one little word. I hope that for maybe for you as you're watching this, as we're here together. That this little prayer becomes the prayer that you would in part, or take into your own life. This would be part of the rhythm of what this Advent season might be about for you, that, to cry out with a deep hunger for more of God. That Jesus, you would show up in our midst, show up in all of the brokenness, in all of the chaos, and not just like sort of like a dabbling, sort of crying out, not sort of just like skimming the surface, kind of crying out. I don't know, remember back in the day when we used to be able to have people over at our houses and we used to be able to host and have, you know, like, those appetizer trays out on the, the kitchen table. You know, like whenever we used to have people over or go to someone's house and you have those appetizer trays, you kind of just, I, this is me, me talking here, you kind of just graze at those things. You know, you walk past and you grab a cracker, walk past and grab one of those like fancy olive things and the cheese or whatever, and we're just sort of dabbling, right? Just sort of grazing. But the thing is, though, as we think about Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, a little bit of grazing I don't think is going to cut it. A deep hunger in the, for more of the things of God is what God is inviting us to. Not just to graze kind of at the, the things of Jesus, but to cry out with a desperation. Because friends, especially in the, in the midst of this year, 
a little bit of grazing I don't think is going to cut it. We need more of the presence of Jesus in our lives. A deeper hunger for more of Jesus in our lives. There's so many things, again, that are trying to distract us and take us off course. But the, sim- the simplicity of what just this one phrase, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, is so vital. A desperation, a deep cry for more of him. You know, when the prodigal son was hungry, he fed with the pigs. But when he was desperate, he ran back to the arms of his loving father. And I, I, I can't help but wonder, with so much uncertainty still before us and so much anxiety and stress and difficulty, even in the midst right now, maybe just slowing down and crying out, Maranatha, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come, we need more of you. Maranatha, come into our workplaces. Come into our homes, in our marriages. Maranatha, into our singleness, in our relationships. Maranatha, into our church, in our community, in all these different areas of our lives. Jesus, we need you to come. And as we think about this and pray this and meditate on this phrase, we recognize that as we cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. Jesus is present with us. He's already been pursuing us. He's already been there with us and for us. And friends, as as we close this teaching this morning, again, I just cannot help but wonder. It's one one little phrase in the original language, but it's so powerful. I would invite you this week, just very simply, Just incorporate that into your prayer life. Incorporate that phrase into your time with Jesus. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And so Jesus, we do cry that out this morning. We ask God that you would come into all of the brokenness and all of the gaps and all of the different areas, God, where we need you. So Maranatha, Jesus, come Lord Jesus. Amen.